Hey, this is Sammy Bowler, and you're listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks podcast. Good evening, everybody. What's going on? What's shaking? It's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe, staying healthy. I always say that at the beginning of every episode, and hopefully things are getting better. I mean, there's been articles in the paper and the news. Gosh, no one reads the newspaper anymore, but uh, there's been articles online about states lifting restrictions and baseball teams and stadiums offering limited capacity. So hopefully we're we're going down the right path and we're you know we're we're heading towards normalcy, whatever that will be once everything is gosh, I don't know if it'll ever be over, but once things are better actually because I know everybody wants to go to a live concert, everybody wants to go and have that experience again. It's been a while since we've been able to do that. I just hope that we're not doing things too soon. And, uh, you know, that'll yet to be determined, but my fingers crossed, are crossed, that we're not doing that. And hopefully we continue the positive news and the optimism. And before you know it, we're, we're able to do some of the things that we haven't done in a while. But like always, we're always an escape for you. The Hook Rocks, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, we're here to talk rock music, topics from all over the genre, from music commentary, great interviews, what's going on in rock music, and we have a great guest for you today. We have Mr. Ricky Warwick. How are you doing today, Ricky? What's going on? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show, Jay. No, I appreciate you doing it, man. I've uh, been wanting to have you on since I heard the new album, When Life Was Hard and Fast. Just a great record. we got lots to get into, but I appreciate you coming on the Hook Rocks. Oh, no no problem. Thank you, man. Happy to, happy to be on the show. Yeah, well, we always start the same way. Every time we have a new guest, and we've been having a lot of new guests lately for the first time, and that is the essence of the podcast. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Can I can I be cheeky and ask for two? Two oh, of those moments? You can, you can have two, absolutely. Uh, so the first one was a band, a punk band from, from Belfast, Ireland, where I'm from, called Stiffle Fingers. And I went, I got their, their debut album, and then I went to see them play in Belfast at age 13 years old. And went in as a spotty, angst-ridden teenage youth and came out as a spotty, angst-ridden teenage youth with a direction and a reason and a goal in my life that changed my life that, that, that much, seeing that band. And that's the reason I picked up a guitar, was that concert. And then the second defining moment for me was my older sister bought Black Rose by Thin Lizzy. And I... Stole the album and put it on and listened to it. And again, another defining moment in, in me wanting to play guitar and choose the, the, the road down to road to rock and roll, basically. 
You know, Thin Lizzy is such an amazing band, obviously. And, you know, you have the connection with Black Star Riders. Sure. You also have done some shows as, you know, a celebration of Thin Lizzy, too, as well, with some of the you know, original members. And, you know, what what is really cool about them is I was always a casual fan of Thin Lizzy growing up. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until recently, I would say probably over the last five years, where I've really dove deeper into their catalog. Yeah. And yeah. It's just amazing, and I actually I wrote the I'm not, not I read the autobiography or the biography of Phil Lynott that was released mm-hmm. several years ago, and it gave me a whole new appreciation yeah. of his lyrics and how he wrote music and how his upbringing affected his playing and his music and his style. Um, yeah. Just a a, a a very underrated band, especially here in the states. Um, that's just full of great songs, great songwriting, and have influenced so many people. Absolutely. I mean, I concur with everything that you said. I mean, Phil was such an amazing, exceptional frontman, just in looks alone, the way that he looked. But the way he played the bass guitar, he's an amazing musician. He was a poet. He was um, a great storyteller in his lyrics. He was a real. He was a real deal. I mean, he could never have been anything else but a rock star, and he had an edginess to him, and a, and a, and a, little, a, a very kind of positive, aggressive side to him when, when he played with Thin Lizzy that I fell in love with. And when he was singing about, you know, the subjects in his songs, I could relate to him being Irish and being from, from you know, from from Ireland. I could say, well, he's singing about my life. I can relate to these things. I know these places he's singing about. I know these people. I've, you know, some of these characters are very similar to the characters that they're in my life. So I just instantly fell in love with the band. But like you said, Jay, you go, I mean, it's criminal that Lizzie, by a lot of people, are known as a one-hit wonder band in the United States of America because they're just so not that band. And um, there's so much depth and great songwriting in every one of their albums. Every one of their albums. There's so many amazing songs on, on each album that, you know, they deserve it to be explored. And just, you know, people, Boys of Boys Back in Town is an amazing song, but the band is so much more than that. Absolutely. And what's really amazing about them, too, is you can see the growth in the artist of Phil as their albums went on from their debut album. Yeah. You know, as they, you know, obviously got into Black Rose and, you know, Jailbreak and all those records, too. But you could just see the evolution of him becoming mm-hmm. a greater artist after every album that they did. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, I think Phil didn't want to didn't want to stand still. He didn't want to keep making the same album every time. So he was always, you know, he always had an eye on what was going on around him, what was changing in the world, what was changing musically. And I think he was always very open to many different styles and. and and you know different different genres of music, and I think you can hear that as, as he progresses through the albums. But still, keeping it very much thin Lizzy to the core. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Certainly in the later albums, you can you can hear him, you know, experimenting a lot more. Where did it go from there? You know, after those two experiences that you had, when did it become? You know, you wanted to get up on stage, be in a band, and play in front of people. I mean, straight away, I had a paper round. Um, and I'd saved up some money, and I, I'd, I'd gone to my dad, and I went, "Look, I've got this this much money. There's an electric guitar I want in the local music shop." And you know, my old man, being a great man that he was, was like, "Okay, you know, how much are you short?" And I was like, "Well, you know, fifty pounds." He's like, "Okay, I'll I'll front you the fifty pounds." And and I, you know, as soon as I got that guitar, that was it. I was I was armed. You know, I was I was ready to take on the world, and uh, and that's what I did. And I just threw myself into it with complete. Abandonment, you know. I just was like, "This is what I'm going to do, and nothing is going to stop me." And you know, and that's when it began. And then we relocated to Scotland when I was about 15 years old. And the first day of being at the new school, hey, there's, an, there's a guy over from Ireland just come to school. Suddenly, the dr- the guy who owns a drum kit starts talking to you in the playground. The guy who's got a bass guitar starts talking to you. You know, a week later, I'm in my first band. You know, playing, playing, and rehearsing in people's front rooms, and playing the youth clubs, and playing the school discos, and that's really how it all began. As your evolution into the music, you know, was was happening, and you know, you have the influences there. When you decided to start writing music, you know, what were some of your influences there as well? Um, you know, I wanted to write straight away. I would never wanted to be the guy. Um, 
the Frederick Allen guitar. That was never what I was all about. I was always interested in, in the songs and how they were written and the songwriting craft, even right right out of the gate. And I was always interested in rhythm guitar players. They were always the guys to me that were that, that caught my eye. You know, the, the Malcolm Youngs, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. You know, people. You know, James Hetfield from Metallica. I was always like, well, you know, I, I want to I be the guy that writes the big chunky guitar riff. So I was, you know, I was off, and, and again, it was it was bands like Thin Lizzy, but it was Motorhead, it was Stiff Little Fingers, it was the Sex Pistols, it was the Clash, it was ACDC, you know, it was just good in your face, loud rock and roll, and nothing changed. <laughs> as far as writing, you know, developing your style, do you write more on observation? Do you write on personal experience? Where do you get your inspiration? Both anywhere. It's, look, it's a, for me. It's a diary. That's what it is. It's, it's you're opening your diary up to the world. These, these are your innermost thoughts of experiences that you've you've had or happened to your family or to your friends or your thoughts on politics or your thoughts on the world, places you may have traveled to. All that is part of it, and it's really to me. It's to me. It's a kind of therapy. It's it's just a way of getting it out there. Um, I mean, if I didn't write songs, I I would I would write journals. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people answer how writing about a personal experience, whatever emotion it it conveys or conjures up, mm-hmm. is you know how how therapeutic it is, right? Because you're you're having to relive that experience, you're having to go and dive deep into an, an experience sure. that is either happy or uncomfortable, whatever it is, and you yeah. got to tap into that. And it's and there's a sense of you know vulnerability with that too as well, you know, because you're you're having to capture that emotion that maybe you felt maybe it's been a couple of years since that experience happened. Is that is that a difficult process for you to go through that? It's easier to write about it and put it into a song than it is for me to talk about it. Absolutely. I'll be the first one to admit that. And I think I express myself way more in my lyrics about feelings and, and thoughts and and personal stuff and, and people that are in my life than I, than I do just in conversation and talking about it. So for me, it's always been a form of escapism to, to okay, you know, this guy's pissed me off or, or you know, I, I didn't get the girl or, you know, one of my friends passed away. How do I process this? I'll, I'll tend to write the words down and, and then that becomes a song and that's almost my way of dealing with it. Music is so powerful because on your end, right, it's giving you... A, a way of being therapeutic in in, in dealing with yeah. a situation, and also helping your voice and helping you describe and and, and talk sure. about it and discuss about it. And then also on a fan's perspective, is sometimes we don't always have the right words to express ourselves dealing with a situation. And then when a song connects with us that has those similarities to what maybe we've dealt with, that song yeah. then that song then becomes our voice too as well our way of expressing sure. it you know and it's very unique how on both sides it, it's it's therapeutic for both the artist and the listener yeah but I'm, I'm the same just because i write songs i'm still the same with all the artists that i love you know i'll hear a song by them and go wow i can really connect with what they're saying in that song and you know that that is very similar to the experiences that i had and i you know i absolutely agree with that i mean music has given me everything in my life i owe everything in my life to music good and bad you know, I you know I wouldn't have met my wife if it wasn't for music. I I wouldn't have the life that I have if it wasn't for music. Um, so I owe I owe it I owe it a big debt, and um, it's a very very powerful tool, and it's it's very underestimated by a lot of people and underappreciated by a lot of people because it's taken for granted um, so much. So, and I think you know more so in the last you know year that we've all been through. Where would we have been if music wasn't an integral part of our everyday lives? I'll be the first to say that, you know, without music, without music and my dog. <laughs> there you I, go. I, I, I really think that I would have struggled a lot more this year, yeah. you know, with the limited access to things and just having to change your yeah. lifestyle. Music has been an escape, even though I haven't been able to go to a live concert, which I love doing. Sure. You know, yeah. um, there's still that that healing power that way of yes. soothing you know your emotion and, and helping you get perspective or gain perspective of certain situations it's such a powerful tool yeah it, it is and again i think it's under 
it's underappreciated uh, a lot sometimes by the powers that be. And not just music, all art. You know, you've got to put all art into that. Where would it have been without video games? Where would it have been without all those TV shows we've been binge-watching, all the movies we've been watching? Well, art itself, you know, poetry, books, that all comes under art. And that, people go, well, it's not, it's not an essential, uh, it's not essential to life. Yes, it is. It's essential. It's essential to everybody's mental well-being because if you want to, you know, defund the arts and not appreciate it, you know what? Get rid of all that stuff because that is all part of it. And, you know, it's certainly, like you said, it, 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 you said it's helped you. It's, it's helped me enormously too because, you know, knowing that I've not been able to play live, I've thrown myself into, into my music in as many other ways that I can to keep, you know, my own self of, my own, my own sanity and my own kind of head together. What has been your creative process during these times? I mean, you know, we just talked about the difficulty it is and in, in to mm-hmm. kind of cope with what's happening. How have you managed to stay creative? Well, writing-wise, Jay, it hasn't really changed that much. I've just been able to do more of it because, you know, there's, you, you don't have, there's not been the distractions of, of school runs and, and you going out to places that because obviously we're not allowed to, so you have more time. I've had more time to be at home. I have more time to be in my, my little studio. So I've just I've used that time to, to to write more and be more creative. You know, live wise, obviously that's been a complete non-starter. So I've explored the uh, the uh, the ideas and, and and done quite a few now of online shows. I've been doing about one a month. Um, and and yeah, you know, yes, it's not the same. We all know that, but it's certainly been good for me in that. I have a show to practice and rehearse and look forward to every month. It's still a way for me to connect with all the all the great people out there online because you can do the show and I can see their comments, interact with them as I'm playing, and that's been amazing. So, um, you know, in, in a weird way, I was I was joking, I was joking on it. I've been doing a lot of obviously a lot of promo for my album. I've don't, I've never really been busier, you know, because I've just you know you before you would everything was sort of set in blocks. You'd do a tour, you would come home after a six week run, and I wouldn't look at a guitar for for three weeks you know you sort of de-stress from the tour and, and get and get back into just being at home which would take a couple of weeks and the last thing you want to do is like, in the last year I've played guitar and sang every day and I've written something every day or I've been creative with you know doing doing the live on, online shows so yeah it's not the same but I certainly haven't it certainly hasn't had an adverse effect on me in terms of being productive it also I imagine helps you get through this too as well we mentioned the power of therapy that music has, but when you're able to kind of go into a bubble and forget about mm-hmm. what's happening outside the four walls that you live in, you know, you kind of, yeah. you use that, you utilize what's in your arsenal, so to speak, in terms of coping with things and music, obviously, because you're an artist and you're, you're, you're a musician, yeah. you're able to tap into that and kind of work your way through all this chaos. Yeah, and I've always treated it as a job, you know, even before the pandemic, because it is a job. So that, you know, when uh, when everything is pre-pandemic, you know, I, that would involve me getting up, getting my kids up, doing the school run, coming home, and then going into my studio. I would make myself go into the studio. Even if I didn't feel inspired that day, I still felt I had a duty to be in the position of doing a job that I loved, that I, I had to go to work. So I would go to work in the studio, and I... I, I play guitar or try and write even if what I wrote at the end of the day I hated it I still knew that I'd done something that day and I still very much have that mandate that's how that's how I roll you know I get up and I I go to work because it's a job it's a job that I love but it's still a job and I treat it as such you know the new album has just recently come out and it's a very strong record I mean it's got elements of the influences that you talked about you know the Thin Lizzy it's got a very also kind of rockabilly type of atmosphere too to it which is really cool it reminds me of a lot of i don't know if you're familiar with the band super suckers but it's it's oh uh, yeah very much so i actually know eddie eddie's a friend of mine yeah eddie's great eddie's been on the podcast too uh, a few months back but i've seen them live so many times and you know when i was listening to the album like man this has got such a great vibe to it it's like you know it's, it's it's like a super suckers type of vibe to it and i love that style of music cool cool well thank you yeah, I mean, Eddie's been a friend. I've done Ed when Thin Lizzy uh, went out uh, the first tour when, when Scott put the band back together back in 2011. We actually had the Super Suckers open for us in the UK. 
which was amazing. And then prior to that, Eddie and I had gone out in the UK together and done an acoustic run of shows around the UK. So, um, yeah, no, Eddie's, Eddie's a great guy and they're a great band. And it's, there's something about the purity of that rock and roll style that the Super Suckers have that I've always embraced and always loved. You know, you just know what you're going to get. There's no frills. There's no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no, there's no pretense. It's just in your face, rock and roll, big choruses, big songs, loud guitars. Let's go. And I love that. I love that attitude. I mean, isn't that the way it's meant to be, right? I mean, that's... I, th- I think so. I don't think you should overthink it. I think people tend to overthink it sometimes, you know? And I think it's about... Look, number one, it's about entertainment. It's about making people feel something and, and connecting with them because, you know, without that, there's nothing. So I think that's the, the priority. But to me, uh, all the songs over the years that I've loved and, and the many different, you know, styles of music that I'm into, whether it be Northern Soul and Motown, you know, to, to reggae music, to, to to hardcore, to punk, you know, it's all about the song and it's all about the connection there of a memorable song and something that you can really tap into and hold on to. What was the process for this album? I mean, was this recorded during the pandemic? Was it recorded before? It was recorded before. Um, it was written in 2018, demoed in sort of 2018, and then recorded in April of 2019. And what was it like, I mean, you know, sitting on this material for as long <laughs> as you did? I mean, that's got to be frustrating, too. Well, you know, nothing really changed, Jay, schedule-wise. We always had planned to release the album uh, early 2021, uh, purely because I I thought I was going to be on tour all last year with Black Star Riders because we just put an album out at the tail end of 2019, so... You know, I, I planned to be on the road to Black Star Riders all through 2020, and then boom, we'd release a solo album in 2021. I'd go on tour with my solo band, and when the, you know, the solo album forward into 2020, in the midst of a, when the pandemic was at its height, so we just decided we'll leave it where it was, and hopefully by the time 2021 came around, we might be in a better place. Sadly, we're not, as you, as you rightly said, we're we are getting better, but we're not quite there yet. But we just it didn't make sense to change the schedule. And then, you know, deciding when to release it, was there a thought maybe, well, let's kind of see where things go, maybe push it back a little bit, or do you feel that this was the right time to do that? Um, I just felt, again, we couldn't push it back any any further because, you know, I always see the day job as Black Star Riders, and we have plans to do a new Black Star Riders record this year, and suddenly you're, you're, you start stepping all over, all over yourself and, and other things that you've got going on. Um, so we just, again, just for the, the scheduling just didn't really make any sense to shake it up, so we just kind of went with where we were at originally. And you had some guest you know, musicians on this record, too. You had you know, Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry. I know Joe Elliott sings backing vocal, vocals on the on the title track, and you had other people yeah. play, too, as well. How did that all come about? Well, Keith Nelson, from uh, he actually co-produced the record with me and co-wrote um, a lot of the songs on the record with me as well. So Keith was obviously hugely involved in, in, in making the record. Um, Joe, I've been a friend of Joe's Joe Elliott for years and years. I was best man at Joe's wedding, so Joe and I are very, very tight. And Joe actually produced my first two solo records um, that I put out. So Joe's been a great mentor and a great friend to me. I mean, I always say, you know, don't argue with a guy that sold 120 million records. You know, he, he must know what he's doing. So I always use Joe as a sounding board. I'm always asking his opinion, and he's always brutally honest with me. And uh, he's been a good friend, and it just. When it, it's like I've got to the point that when I make a solo record, I just I just I want to have Joe involved in it in some way, and he's you know he's always he's always up for it, which is great. Uh, then we've got Andy Taylor from from Duran Duran and Power Station, again an amazing musician, amazing guitar player, amazing producer, an amazing singer, and I've been working on with Andy on some of his solo stuff, which I think is coming out later this year. So he was kind enough to return the favor and play on one of the tracks. Uh, we've got Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses. Rose is playing keyboards on three of the songs. I've known Dizzy since I relocated to LA about 16 years ago. Again, Thin Lizzy did some shows with Guns N' Roses back in 2012. So these are friends, you know. These are first and foremost their friendships forged in rock and roll. But these guys have become friends. You know, it's not like I'm calling them out of the blue. We're, we're talking or we're emailing each other every other week, and it's like, hey, I'm in the studio. You know, can I send you a track? You want to play on it? Cool, send it over. It's it's really as laid back as that. Um. So it's just a huge honor for me to have them on because I'm a huge fan of, of what they do. 
I have to imagine, too, that it, it makes the recording process so much easier for you when you have, you know, surrounded yourself with friends and people that know, you know, what makes you tick and how, how your creative process, you know, goes. Yeah, for, for me, you know, music is a social thing, and, and I don't want to really be, even though it's a solo record, I don't want to be holed away in a studio by myself doing everything on my own. I love, you know, creating and making music with other people. That's what that's what excites me. And um, so to be able to have such good friends as these and, and you know, working with, with Keith Nelson is a kindred spirit and, and the chemistry between Keith and I is so great. It was so much fun hearing him interpret my ideas and helping me to take them to to, to that next level, which is what he did. Um, I mean, to me, that's what it's all about. What was your approach to this album? I mean, every time you do something, whether it's Black Star Writers or a solo album, you know, you have that planning, you have that approach of how what you want to accomplish. Was there anything different with this record, or you know, was it you just knowing what you know and wanting wanting to to put that down on on tape? I think that was it. I think I wanted to, you know, harking back to what we we're talking about um, previous, I wanted to make a like a pure no frills rock and roll album, you know, in, in your face. With, with big guitars and that's really where Keith came in um, being the accomplished guitar player he is and, and songwriter too um, and I think we, we shared that, that common goal but again a lot of it was just knowing what I know I mean I just write I write continuously so it was a question of okay what songs do I feel are going to work uh, and and fit the best for the next Ricky Warwick solo album was this album or the songs on this album were they written specifically for this record, or were some of the stuff did you were you hanging on to it for a while, or maybe some of the, the the songs were not finished, and lo and behold, you were able to accomplish that during the recording process? Um, like I said in twenty eighteen when we were demoing, there was nothing really that had been lingering there for a few years. I can't think of anything. Nothing really springs to mind. They were all pretty fresh ideas, and I think that was intentional on my part that I, I didn't want to regurgitate anything that was sort of, you know, sitting there, not there's anything wrong with that because everything usually does end up becoming something after a while. But I just felt that I wanted to go in this with, into this with like a clean slate and start from scratch. And as far as, you know, what you're creating now and, and to continue, is this for another solo album? Is this for a black star writers album? Where are you at in that process? And we're good to go for the next Black Star Writers album. It's written, it's demoed. We're just obviously waiting until it's safe for us all to uh, to get together in the studio, which will be uh, probably towards the end of the summer, again in Los Angeles, and we'll work with Jay Rustin again, who who produced our last album, Another Steady Grace. So that's good, and I'm already working with Keith on, on the follow-up to When Life is Hard and Fast. We're already working on some ideas and some songs, and, uh, you know, and just keeping the, just keep doing what we love. You know, I, I have to imagine too. You know, during this downtime, you have a, a chance to really tap into that creative well. And like you said, mm-hmm. you know, you just you release this album. This album was done for a while. Now you're creating yeah. music for Black Star Writers for another solo album. So it's nice to know. It must be it must be nice for you to know that you have a lot of logs in the fire. You know, you have that ability to. You know, do a, a Black Star Writers album, go on tour, come back, and then you've got the material for another solo album where it yeah. you know, keeps you busy. So that's a that's got to be a great feeling. Yeah, thank you. It is. And I, I, you know, I just I don't do well when I've got nothing to do. I'm just not one of those people. I, I I like to be busy. I like to be creating. You know, life is short. I like to take advantage of all the great opportunities that that, that I find myself in. And I've got the best of both worlds. I mean, I get to make solo records. And I get to be. I, you know, I don't see the, re- again, it goes back, I love what I'm doing, so what's the point in not doing it? Why would I want to be creative? And, I, you know, if you have songs, if you've got songs in the, in, in the bank, you know, you're never going to be caught out. You're always good to go when an opportunity presents itself and for other people. So somebody will say, hey, Ricky, you got a song for an album? Yeah, you know, I've got one. So that's, that makes me happy to know that, okay, the album's written, it's there. I don't have to worry about it. You know, I'm, I'm, I could never be one of those artists personally that, you know, that, that your manager will call you. Okay. You know, you, you have three months to, you know, get a cabin in the woods and write the next album. Um, I can't work like that. You know, I can't work to, to schedules. I like to work all the time and be creative all the time. You know, I had the pleasure of seeing you for the first time on the Judas Priest tour with Saxon up in Milwaukee. Gosh, like three years ago. Yeah. 
And yep. uh, that was the first time I was exposed to you as an artist. And I was like, wow, these, this band, like, that was a great bill, by the way, Priest, Saxon, and, and Black Star Writers. And, you, you know, and, 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 and yeah, and, and watching you, I'm like, wow, these guys are, are awesome. Like, 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 thank you. Dove into your catalog and, and been a fan ever since. Yeah, thanks. That was an amazing tour. You know, Priest have been very, very good to Black Star Writers. We've, we've done a lot of shows with them, you know, not just that US from we went to South America with him and Alison Chase, which was amazing. We've done a bunch of European shows with Judas Priest as well. And I think what's cool about it is obviously we on that bill I you know, we're not the metal band, you know. I mean we're we're definitely coming at it more from a hard rock angle. And I think, you know, that made it stand out a little bit on the on, on that bill, which is great. And that's more part of Judas Priest for for, you know, taking a band out that isn't predominantly in the metal genre. Um so, I, I I've just got great memories of that tour. It was just such a good time and, and and a lot of a lot of good fun to be had with those guys. When you're doing material with Black Star Riders and you have your solo material, there's obvious you know differences in how you're collaborating, right? Because you're kind of mm-hmm. you're you're steering the ship on on a solo record. How does that dynamic? How do you have to be when you're doing a Black Star Riders <laughs> album versus a solo record? Well, I'm kind of steering the ship on Black Star Riders as well because I'm always been the predominant songwriter for that band too. Okay. And it is it is hard to separate yourself from yourself. You can't do it, you know. So obviously there is going to be moments where I've certainly had the raised eyebrow from Scott Gorham when I've been playing him some of my solo stuff. And he's like, hey man, you know, you, you kept that one for yourself and you did it, give it to us. And we'll chuckle about it because the guys know that I'm not never going to turn up for a Black Star Writers writing session go, guys, I ain't got anything. I've kept everything for my, my solo records. You know, they know that I'll always turn up with an abundance of material. And I say, gut instinct, Jay, I don't know how else to describe it. When I'm writing something, I kind of go, oh, this has definitely got a BSR vibe to it. I can, I can definitely hear how, you know, Scott and Christian and, and Robbie and Chad are going to, you know, I, I can't wait to hear what they're going to do with this idea and where they're going to take it. And I love that. I love that. So maybe I won't finish the idea. I'll just go, guys, I got a chorus and I got a riff. What do you think? And then they'll start jumping in and it evolves from there. Obviously with the solo thing, you get to be a little bit more narcissistic in the, in the terms that you can just go, well, maybe I'll just finish this on my own. You know, this one's for me. Again, working with Keith, it was very much of me bringing in probably more than half finished songs to Keith. But then Keith hearing it going, you know, you can get better chords to that chorus. Let's see if we can elevate that even more and that's the part of it that I love about songwriting is is hearing somebody's opinion and, and their interpretation of your idea sometimes it doesn't work out but we're all adults and you know we agree to disagree um, but most of the time they'll hear it in a different way and it'll take might take the song to a place that I would never have ever thought of taking it and I always love taking that chance it's interesting how when you're in a group of people and they all have different perspectives or they, they hear something different, how it can steer the song in different directions like maybe you never even thought it could go. And it, and it, it really does, you know, enhance that collaborative process and enhance the song. And then also when you're doing, you know, a solo, if you have a producer or people that you're collaborating with on a solo career like Keith Nelson or, you know, if Joe Elliott is helping you or whatever, they have a sure. different perspective. And that's that's one of the things that um, I've always touched on on this podcast when we've talked about the accessibility to music, right? And, and people, and there's a lot of great new bands out there. There's a lot of great new music. There's also a lot of bands and a lot of artists who don't have someone in the room with them to tell them, mm-hmm. no, that doesn't sound good. No, that you shouldn't do that on that song. And, yeah. you know, I think that's what's, I, I shouldn't say that that's the only issue with a lot of new music, but that's one of the big key issues is there's so many do it yourselves that they don't have that. There's person. no filter. There's no filter in there. And, yeah. and, you know, they're listening to their, to their moms and their girlfriends, tell them how great they are. Yeah, but they need yeah. that person that says that sounds like shit. That don't well, don't do that. You know, everybody should make music, but not everybody should make music. If that makes sense, right, right. You know, I I, I, I wouldn't come into your house and you know, hey, my, you know, my kitchen's flooded, and I come in and go, well, I, you know, I've never been a plumber, but it looks like fun. I'll have a go at it, and I'll try and fix it for you. You know, music's no different. There's just some people that, that aren't cut out to be musicians. Everybody should make music that makes them happy. Absolutely, there's nothing wrong with that. 
but it's so easy now uh, and it's so anybody can put out a record anybody can record a record anybody can put it up there like you said the filter has gone and there's a lot of people that don't want to hear criticism that don't want to hear that you know maybe you can write a better bridge or you can write a better quote no 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 I don't want to hear that it, this is the way it's got to be and it's my song and, and, and again if that's the way you want to roll that that's okay but I don't know for me it's music you know it's, it's like music's like you know the opinions like our souls everybody's got one right mm-hmm. so and that's just what you know music music should be about that it's it's again it's a social thing and you know I think it, Sharing it and sharing your ideas with other people and getting their interpretation is, is a good thing. It can only be a good thing. Yeah, I mean when you're when you're creating when you're creating the 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 soundboard right, and people are are firing at you saying, "Hey, change this, change that." You know, obviously you're the one that has can hear the song in your head, but yeah, you know, there's there's not sometimes you need that voice in there you know to, you do. to to you absolutely do right to to kind of bring you back down the earth a little bit yeah. and and that yeah and that comes from respect sorry it comes from respect from that person knowing that they've they know their craft and they've spent the hours learning their instrument and learn and you know working on, on songwriting and then you have that mutual respect going look if i don't like something and i'm working on it i'm gonna I'll, at the end of the day I, I will turn around and go hey you know that this isn't working this is i don't hear your idea you know it's my record. This is how, it, how it's going to be. I mean, I hate playing that card and I hate being that person, but if I really do disagree with what somebody's trying to change on, on one of the ideas I've brought in, you know, I will put my foot down. But I'm very open to interpretation and very open to, you know, why do you think it should go there? Why do you think I should change that? You know, and if they come up with a better reason, then I'm open to changing it. When you look at the current landscape in rock music, I've often said that there's never been a time in the genre where there's been this much new music from this many new artists and bands from so many different geographic locations. It's amazing. Yeah. Like you can, you know, have music from South Africa, from Canada, mm-hmm. from South America yep. to Europe to the UK all over. It's just amazing. Um but when you talk about the connection to the youth and the relevancy of rock music, there still is a struggle there. I, I'm optimistic. I think that this is a perfect time for the resurgence of rock music to happen because of what's been going on. How do you feel? What do you, what do you, what do you view it as? I, well, I think it's never gone away. You know, I think people say rock and roll is dead and need to open their eyes. It's always been there. It always will be there. People will always want music. You know, we're all getting older. You know, so our generation is the first generation where our, our rock and rollers are going to die of old age and are starting to die of old age. That's never happened before because rock and roll was basically born in the 50s. You know, we all, out of the blues and country, we all know where it came from. So our generation now are getting into their, you know, their, their later years because back in the day, in the 70s, you know, in, in the 80s, if you were over 30 and in a rock and roll band, you were too old and you were told to give it up. You know, but no, but then people got into their thirties and went, "Hang on a minute, I'm actually writing, playing better, singing better in my forties than I ever was in my twenties." And I, I'm relative, I've got something to say. Almost like the old blues guys. A lot of those guys were, you know, when they were, they were, they were better when they were in their later years. And people are now, that's so that whole thesis has been turned on its head because it's wrong. And I think fundamentally, you have guys that are my age and older now who've been playing music for thirty, forty years creating and making some of the best records that they've ever made in their life. Is it something that you concern yourself with? I mean, you're a pretty busy guy. You write a lot of stuff. You're creating a lot of stuff. You seem to be the guy that, you know, just puts their head down and makes music because you love it. And if it's good, people will find it. Right. I mean, if you know, that's the attitude that a lot of people take is that, you know what? Rock and roll isn't dead. It's still around. Maybe it's not as relevant as it was 15, 20 years ago, but there's so many, there's so many bands out there and there's so much music that uh, it's not really maybe a concern for you or for other artists. Well, yeah. I mean, there's so many distractions now that that we didn't have 25 years ago, just obviously the internet being a huge part of a part of that. And, you know, really, it was back in the day, it was sort of sports or music, and that was it. You know, you, that was your two sort of go-to things. Now there's obviously so many other things that that's going on. But, you know, I write 
I write for me. I write a song that I like, and then I just hope and pray that other people like it. <laughs> it's as simple as that, you know? I think, you know, years ago, people used to write songs for the radio. They used to write songs for their, you know, for their fans. I think it's evolved to, there is no more radio that plays new music anymore, especially in the States. And as far as, you know, fans writing music for the fans, I think there's something to be said that your fans are going to be your fans unless, of course, you completely bottom out and you completely sure. release you know but but the fans are going to stay with you and they can find you there's so, you're so much more accessible as you were so it gives people the ability gives the artist the ability to write their music for themselves because you know they're 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 they have that artistic sense yeah and you know there's nothing more loyal than rock 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 fans hard rock fans are the loyalist fans that they are they stick with you through thick and thin and they they want to you put an album out, they they will go and they, I, I have to have it in all formats. I need the vinyl, I need the CD, I'm going to download it as well. I need the, the T-shirt that comes with the bundle. And and that's the, that's our lifeblood. Those guys are our, our lifeblood, you know, because they're so hardcore. And, you know, the Internet, as we all know, is a wonderful thing. It's also the devil's keyboard at the same time as well. You know, it's certainly everything is a we're way more accessible than we used to be. I mean, that's a good and a bad thing. Personally, I don't really want to know the guy that influenced me. I don't want to see a picture of his dinner. I don't want to see what what his cat looks like. I'm not interested in that. And that ruins it for me slightly because of the mysticism that we used to have when we were kids that you could only see the bands that you loved on TV or in a magazine that you bought. You know, look, look, his hair's got longer. Look what he's wearing and that. Oh, I had no idea they wrote that song about that. You kind of lived for those moments, and they were special, and you remembered them. Now you can find anything about anyone, anytime, 24-7. That's just the way it is. I get it. Times change. But I think the mystery's been taken out of the whole the whole thing for me, and I think that's a little bit sad. But what can you do about it? Yeah. I mean, I remember you know growing up, too, being young and, and looking at the rock stars that were posters on my wall and, and seeing their videos but never having the access to them like people do now. Yeah. And there no. was that mystique. There was that mystery. Yeah. I, I often cite the band Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin hasn't released an album since 1979, yet if they, and they don't do a lot of press, they do very limited press, yeah. but if they want to release their remasters or a, a, a live album that's never been released before, it sells yeah. millions of stuff because people crave it because there's the mystique there. There is yeah. still that, you know, of Led Zeppelin. They, they, there's still a mystery surrounding them. And I think you're right. There is something to be said for that that is lacking today. Very much so. And I think people, you know, they crave that because every little bit of information they get about their favorite band, oh, I, you know, I had no idea that happened or they recorded there or that's the guitar that he used. Um, yeah, like I said before, that that's gone now. But look, I'm... I'm you know, I love looking back at the past. I certainly don't want to go back and revisit. I'm all about moving forward and, and, and the future and what that brings, because um, I think that's the only way to be personally. But I think you can. I think it's good to go back and revisit the past to help you move forward. Um, and I'm certainly, you know, as technology is changing, I'm not going to bury my head in the sand and go, "Okay, this is happening." Of course, you know, it's the story of life. We 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 keep reinventing, inventing stuff and. and move forward as we do so when technology gets better yeah I will embrace it I will okay so now I need to put my music on this platform to get okay that's what it takes for people to hear my music I'm all about it you know you mentioned the internet and people you know pictures of your cat and pictures of this or pictures of that it also it also makes everybody feel like a critic everybody's got to comment on something everybody has to get their opinion out there and it you know I remember the days where if you didn't like something you just kept walking you know, you kept, you know, I mean, yeah, you yeah, know, I, I have a, I have a, yeah, I have a major problem with that. Actually, it's funny you brought that up. It just, you know, if you, yeah. it's the whole whole thing your, your mother used to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And the fact that people go out of their way to be negative, to be disrespectful, to be hurtful, to to almost hatred, you know. And I, like any artist, I get it on a daily basis. As much as I get people going, you know, I, I love your music, I love the blast music, I will get that the two or three people a day, you suck, I hate you, what, give it up, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wow, you really are, is your life that shallow that you have 
to sit down and type that about somebody you've never met or you don't know just to feel good about yourself. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, the, the, the comments don't bother me. It's just I find it sad that people have to resort to that. Look, there's lots of stuff I hate. There's lots of stuff I don't like. But like, like you said, Jay, I, that's not for me. I'm not going to go go off on the person that did it or the people that did it. You know, I'm just going, you know what? I don't like, like what you did. So I'm not going to engage you or be involved with you. I'm just, like you said, I'm just going to keep walking. It's, Have a nice day. Yeah, it's very hard for me to be critical of an album or a song made by somebody because what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, I'm I'm 46 years old. So, yeah. you know, what maybe didn't sound good to me 20 years ago, mm-hmm. I, lo- I love now. You know, you're you're yeah. as a person, you're always evolving. And, you know, the great thing about music is after you go and experience life and experience different things and you grow as a person – you sit down and you listen to a record that maybe didn't connect with you when you were in your mid twenties, and wow, like this is this is a great album. This is a great song, but if you go and crap all over it because you don't like it on the first one or two listens, it almost cements that you don't want to be wrong. So you're so you'll never listen to it again, <laughs> and that's a shame because you should allow yeah. yourself to revisit things years down the road two months down the road, whatever the time frame yep. is, because yep. you may find that you enjoy that music. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, you never know when something's going to come around. There's been, you know, plenty of artists that I've listened to and going, you know what, that's not for me. And then I may have heard it, like you said, a year later and going, well, hang on a minute. You know, I'm kind of digging this now. Um, and, sorry. How many times have you heard a song that you didn't connect with? And then like a year later, you're in like a bar or you're at a club right. and you hear the yep. song on the jukebox and you're like, damn, this is a really good song. Like, yeah, because you, you could be in, you could be in a certain mood that day. Maybe you're in a shitty mood or you're not feeling something or you're just, you know, having not, you know, and you hear something and you don't give it that your mood affects how you listen to it. And then, like you said, you could be a year later in your bar, you're having a good time, you're with your, your friends and boom, you know, the song that you didn't like comes on and you hear it in a whole new different way. I guess that's the beauty of music being subjective, right? That is. And then everybody has, you know, a different ear and a different perspective and your perspective changes and you should allow yourself to evolve and and revisit things that maybe you didn't like on the first run or the first couple times you heard it because I've discovered so much. I mean, I, you know, there's so many bands when I was in my teens that I didn't like and, you know, now I love them, you know, this is a great band because you know, through maturity yeah. and through experience, your your taste change. I mean, yeah. how many times have you had, a, a, you know, when you were younger, you tasted something and you, you spit it out because it wasn't that good, <laughs> and course. now you love it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's the Brussels sprouts factor, right? <laughs> you know? I, I mean, it's like, yeah, and the same thing. How many times have you got, you know, heard a band on record, and you're going to know for me, and then you get dragged along to see them play live, and you suddenly go, wow. You know? Um and then it can be in reverse. There's, there's a band that's happening right now from the UK called, this is my recent example, called called, called Idols. I don't know if you've heard of. Um, young band from the UK. And uh, my wife was really into him. And she, and she, she dragged me along to see him play in, in LA. And uh, I went, nah, you know, they're, they're okay. I don't really get it. They're okay. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple months later, you know, there's some playlist I'm listening to and boom, one of the song comes on and I'm like, this is, you know, friggin' amazing. Who is this? It's Idols. I've got every record they ever put out now and I can't wait to go and see them again. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we, we talked about Super Suckers at the beginning of the episode and that was yeah. very similar my experience, you know, for me. I remember going to a show with my buddy and he was a big fan of theirs and he would put him in the car He's like, what do you think of these guys? I'm like, eh, you know, they're all right. So one day, yeah. you know, he's like, I'm going to see Super Suckers. You want to come with? And I'm like, yeah, I got nothing going. I'll go. And I was blown away. Like, man, these yeah. guys are freaking yeah. awesome, you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's all about the experience. It's all about timing, really, you know? And Yeah. So many different factors can come into play. Just how you interpret a song or a show. or And a lot of it is really where, where your head's at. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Ricky, this has been a blast. I appreciate you coming on the show and Thank doing you. this. Um, oh, my, my pleasure. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation. The new album is is great for my listeners who 
who are not familiar with it, go out and pick it up. It's called When Life Was Hard and Fast, just released here about, what, about a month ago, a few weeks ago? Uh, less than that, two weeks ago. Okay, okay. It's a great yep. record. It's just, you know, straight ahead rock and roll. It's a good time album, and I know there's a deluxe part of it too as well, right? Yeah, there's a bonus CD with on the, with, if you get the deluxe CD version, it's available in all formats. There's some great colored vinyl out there for all, all the folks that are into vinyl. Uh, CD deluxe version has an extra bonus album, which is a bunch of acoustic covers that I did. And when can we expect a new Black Star Writers album? Uh, I think we're looking, obviously, looking at 2022. Okay. Um, the album is being recorded this summer, and uh, so I think mid to late 2022, I think we can see it. Awesome. Well, Ricky, once again, thanks for doing the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.